Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. It's been an incredible week. Yes, yes. Uh, we're going to do some housekeeping uh, real quick. If I must say, I'm enjoying the look at the play, the, the sensitivity of being, you know, the black history, starting to look at more individuals, more areas, uh, even acknowledging it. Because the reality is, uh, black history is not American history. Black history is global history. Right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's world history, right? Yeah. You, you cannot talk about world history without talking about the black uh, experience or the, the, the African experience. Uh, and, and, and what I've, I'm really appreciating is how the church is starting to embrace it even more. And when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about CCC, but I'm talking about the body of believers. Because when you look at the conversations that are happening now, mm-hmm. especially I've been working with some pastors over in uh, you know, Nashville, Texas, uh, and other areas, and they are really wholeheartedly asking questions about this whole idea. Because I, I made a comment that Dr. Menard has said that people are looking for um, the black experience in the Bible, and the question is really, where's the white experience in the Bible? Watch out, easy. I know, and I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> Cuidado. <laughs> Con but, but, the, but the reality is that. We no longer, as a church, can be ignorant and not able to answer the questions that a lot of younger generations are asking, especially about the, the biblical narrative and how it moves. Because most of individuals start their biblical narrative in Roman Catholic, so Roman Catholicism. We look at all the things that they did to make it palatable to a certain demographic and changing the faces of different individuals. Well, we lost out on the connection between the black experience and the biblical narrative. But if we start moving and looking at the southern movement of the Christian movement before it went north, we'll start really appreciating. And, you know, then you start looking at the Moors and all this other stuff that, you know, we, can't, we don't have time to talk about. But I'm loving and appreciating. So please keep the church in prayer. I say all that to say keep the church in prayer. Keep the white brothers and sisters in the church in prayer because they are now becoming more open to the discussion of what does this really look like. I, well said, son. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we're at the place where we're realizing that black is not a color. Mm-hmm. It's a culture. Yep. Um, white is not a color. It's a culture. It's a social construct mm-hmm. that was abused and misused but it is now being sanctified, corrected. Uh, and, you know, the whole idea of Christianity being the white man's religion is false. That's, mm-hmm. that's a myth, regardless of how it was used. That is not true. So we're discovering things about the Bible and its history, its presence in the Middle East, its presence in Africa. Ethiopia. The fact that Christi- Christianity had spread mm-hmm. uh, to, to, was already present in Africa. North Africa, all of North Africa. So the whole idea that, you know, God had to bring us here in order to make us Christians as black people is, is part of the myth 
that has to be dismantled mm -hmm. so that we understand and appreciate and become proud of it because our young people are, are doing what my generation did, challenge mm -hmm. the validity of the Bible uh, and what was behind the Bible. And that's why I wrestle with the, the, the people who are doing this whole idea of deconstruction because they don't land in, in a proper place because they're still using misinformation to reconstruct the, the new perceived notions about the church. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and truth, it's all about truth and how we navigate. And remember, Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. So we have to be guided into the truth. Truth is not something that well, we say encounter. That again. Please, don't miss that. That was, that was such a, a, an amazing, powerful statement. We have to be... Thank you. I'm going to keep you here with me. <laughs> we have to be guided into the truth. So because it's a process. <coughs> Sorry. That, that was yeah, it's a, a process because statement. <laughs> it's a process. How many understand what I'm talking about? So the Holy Spirit has to work through our hearts, our circumstances, our understanding to often bring us to a place where we can embrace truth. Yep. Because just mm -hmm. because we're confronted with the truth doesn't mean we're ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. We're ready to receive it. You know, I, I will tell you, in, in make, make it personal. I cannot tell you how many times, you know, uh, that my wife has said to me, you're not ready for that conversation. <laughs> and she was right by them. Did you see it? You know, and she was talking to me because there was a truth I needed to hear, right, within the context of our relationship that she discerned I was not prepared to hear that truth. So truth... And remember, all truth is confrontational mm -hmm. because truth challenges us to the core. Yeah. Amen? But only truth brings the conviction necessary for change. Come on. Only truth brings the conviction necessary for change. That's why he's called the spirit of truth. Mm -hmm. Anybody in the book with me here? Yes. So we have to be guided into truth. We have to go through a process in order to embrace it fully and really make it our own. So that's a process that we're going through as the church right yeah. now. And, and you can see where the, 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 one of the reasons why you see such antagonism or antagonistic mindset is that some of these prominent ministers, you see them in war with the Spirit as the Spirit is trying to guide them into the truth, right? And I'm trying to make sure, because I'm not trying to be over-spiritual, but you see the, the spiritual this situation. struggle. Yes, the yeah. struggle, and struggle. You, you'll, you'll see them double down and make some comments that just doesn't make sense in order to help support their belief system, in order to stand where they believe they should be standing. You see the spirit just gnawing and, and, and annoying and annoying them. And you see a lot of these interviews starting to break down because the spirit, ultimately the Holy Spirit is going to get his, his will across. Look, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. To convict means to convince. Mm -hmm. So some of that convincing is not just on unbelievers. Mm -hmm. Some of that conviction of the Holy Spirit has to go to work on believers. Yes. Because believers are struggling with the influence of culture and buying into the culture and allowing the culture to inform their faith and their relationship with God. And the Holy Spirit has to work with the mm -hmm. church as well, who is supposedly, well, biblically, the pillar and ground for truth. So there's a lot going on in the dynamics of where we are mm -hmm. in, 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 in history. And I was just 
you started this. So. No, I'm, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> you started this. I was reflecting, called Signs of the Times, I was reflecting on Jesus' words that as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. Um, one of the things that I will point out, we're going to get to unpack that, but one of the things I'll point out, similar to both the days of Lot and the days of Noah, and what are you talking about the days of? It's talking about culture, humanity during that period of time. And what were the characteristics of humanity during the days of Noah and during the days of Lot? What I'm going to point to is not the characteristics of the, the, the culture, the society, but of Noah and Lot and what they symbolize. Because the symbolism is powerful. Yep. Each of them represented righteousness as a minority within the dominant culture. I'm going to try that one more time. Yeah, please, get this. Each of them represented a minority of righteousness within the dominant culture. All right? So the dominant culture was going in the wrong direction, a, a direction away from God. Mm -hmm. And Noah was a minority voice. And as a minority voice, he was also a persecuted voice. You hear that? I hope you all pan. Are you following me with this? All right? He was a preacher of righteousness mm -hmm. in a world that was rejecting God and rejecting righteousness. Listen, the only ones that made it into, our, into the ark were him and his family. <laughs> Hello. You don't get any more minority than that. <laughs> but Lot also was a minority of righteousness within the dominant culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he held a position of prominence because the scripture says that he was at the gate. Mm -hmm. And at the gate were the elders seated. They were individuals of influence mm -hmm. within the city. So Lot was not just a citizen. He was an influential elder within the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he was also in the minority and a persecuted minority. And he was so vexed by, y'all mm -hmm. Trinities hear me? <laughs> you vex me, man. So he was so vexed, language of Peter, right, by the culture that it, it desensitized him. So what Lot represents is a desensitized preacher of righteousness, a desensitized hand and eyes of God, a desensitized representative of God within the culture. So we're looking now at supposedly America as a Christian nation, and yet Christians are becoming a minority in ideology and the persecuted minority. Yep. Listen to me. Listen. There are three Abrahamic faiths, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And we all subscribe to the same moral value system. But the only one being attacked for that moral value system is Christianity. Are y'all hearing me, Christian? I, I thought it would be, you know, not too early. So, you know, after 11. I know, they'd be awake, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we're seeing what Jesus was speaking about that would precede his coming, the character of the culture, but also the character of the church. Yeah. Because these are representatives of righteousness, both Noah and, and Lot within their various cons, uh, 
context or, or perspective. And we're seeing that more and more today. So, and, and, and the, the, the head blower is that the Christians are being attacked and Christianity is being attacked as the enemy mm -hmm. of the culture. Yep. All right? And this is, and I'm not talking politics here. I'm speak, speak, strictly speaking spiritually and morally here, right? The enemies of the culture, as though what we represent started with Christianity. <laughs> the whole construct of marriage is a social reality that predates Christians. Yep. But we are treated like we're the ones who've come up with the concept of family and marriage and male and female and all of that. That is a social reality that predates us in terms of Christians. Amen? Amen. So, so we've got to get our heads together to understand what we believe so we could represent it mm -hmm. in an adversarial environment. Yes. That's very, very real, folks. In other words, you Christians need to know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's got to be more than Jesus loves you. Because the preceding generations were told, this is what God said. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. This generation is asking, why do you say that? Yep. Mm -hmm. They're challenging the word of God as to its validity in terms of their lifestyle mm -hmm. and what they're experiencing. And lifestyle is becoming the defining factor for identity. Yep. So we are in the crossroads, and I'm telling you, I love this. Yeah. And, 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 and <laughs> See, some of y'all want to go home or go to heaven, get raptured. Come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm saying, hold up, Lord. I like this because I'm watching the hand of God in, in, in an adversarial context and environment and him do some amazing things. Mm -hmm. I wasn't here. I'm going to roll right into this. Um, you... You were on vacation in Aruba last Sunday. Hmm. I was working. I just want y'all to know I was working. It was it was 25 years of marriage. <laughs> so if I was working. It would have been the last 25 years. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so last Sunday, I was in Albany. Israel and I were in Albany, uh, New York. Um, and it was the 52nd annual Black, Latino, and Asian caucus. And they gather to talk about politics, to talk about where they are. And truth be told, they gather to party. <laughs> so I was called by some friends and they said, you know, we have a Sunday service as part of this and we would love for you to come and bring the CCC experience. We'd love for you to come and minister the word. We'd love for you uh, to, to bring praise and worship. So I called Israel because we were both supposed to be out at um, uh, Bishop Kenneth Olmer's uh, retirement yeah. in, in, on the West Coast. So 
we arranged. So Israel came, brought a band and singers and instruments and technology, and we had service. It was an amazing presence of God that was there. And from the governor, the, the, the state attorney general, I mean, all of the elected officials came to the Sunday service. It was the largest one they said they've had. Uh, there were close to 500 people who were there. These are elected officials gathered to, to worship God and to experience the word. And it was just an amazing opportunity. And the, the feedback that I got was that people were talking more about the Sunday service than they were some of the other elements of the week of caucus. So how did that go? How did that go? First of all, I enjoy it. That is Christ in culture, right? So how did it go? Do you want to know? All right, um, let's, let's get some photos up there because at the end of my word, we had the elected officials come up to the altar for prayer. And you'll see them there. The, the governor, I mean, people were, they, they were there with their hands up before God. We had ministers come and stand in the front to pray for them. And it was just a powerful move of God. Chuck Swindoll said, great preaching creates a crisis, creates chaos, and then offers a door of hope and redemption. So the opening statement is important. I'll share my opening statement. No, y'all don't look like you want it. <laughs> I appreciate the half of you that <laughs> applauded. Statement. This is very, very important because I want you to use it. All right? What I said to them is this. God created government. But people created politics. I'm going to say it again. God created government. There's no doubt about that. But people created politics with all of its political constructs, policies, practices, ideologies, you name it. Politics is power. Who's got it? How'd they get it? How they're using it? Who benefited from it? Should they keep it? Who's benefiting from it? Should they keep it? It's winning and holding on to power. God created government. And the role of government, the way God created it, is to restrain evil, preserve order, protect the life and dignity of the human person, promote justice, and promote the common good. God created government. People created politics. When God no longer informs our politics, we lose our moral compass and move away from the original intent in the mind of God for government. I'll stop right there. It was a call to responsibility. Mm -hmm. It was a call 
to service and an affirmation as to why they are where they are in the positions that they are and the responsibility that goes with that authority and that calling. I will tell you, and this is, this is those of us who are people of faith, we understand that, especially as Christians, from the Christian perspective, right? We understand that societies are shaped by spiritual, moral, political, and economic forces. Mm -hmm. You got that? We understand. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, this age, this period. So we understand that there are invisible forces at work behind the scenes, influencing people who are in positions of power. Are you hearing me? So we could stand on the sideline. I want to make sure you get that because the same way you ask God to influence these individuals, you got other spiritual beings trying to influence the same individuals or other individuals. So please make sure you wrap your head around that concept and understand what Dr. Nara is talking about. This is some deep stuff because if you separate the spiritual aspect, then you start becoming confused. Come on, preacher. You become confused of why people are doing what they're doing and how things are happening and why certain agendas are being pushed at such a... Uh, uh, <laughs> how certain agendas are being pushed at such an aggressive level, you can see that if you don't see the spiritual aspect behind it, you're going to start only arguing against the individual, and sometimes we got to skip the individual and start going and praying against that spirit that's being behind it. See, when you start opening your mind to understanding it, then your, your, your prayers actually start changing, right? We're in Lent season, right? So we're talking about we, we're praying, and my question is, what is the condition and shape of your prayer? So if we're, we're Dr. Nard is saying some deep, profound stuff, if we don't grab that, we can't take that and start incorporating in our prayer life in order to start affecting some change that is desperately needed, especially if you have a child going through certain educational systems. I do that because he hates it. I'm like, where's he going? (laughs) Resurrection. So, understand and get this. And and I love this, right? Because the whole world lies, John, 1 John 5.19. The whole world system lies under the power and influence of Satan. Yes, Christ is exalted as Lord. He has a very specific program, the Lord Jesus, right now with the kingdom. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is the reign and rule of God in the earth, beginning in the human heart. Eventually, he will establish it openly. But right now, he is gathering people into that kingdom, you and I. It is a comprehensive way of seeing life that informs our words, thoughts, motives, actions, attitudes, and our choices. And by that influence upon people within the society, 
he then takes them and he places them so that they can influence society with the will of God. Right now, there are close to 7 billion wills in the world. God is trying to get it back to one. Mm. Jesus' prayer was, thy will be done. So the whole objective is aligning humanity, who he gave free will to, to align that free will with the will of God. Yes. He ultimately wants a society of free moral agents who understand that their freedom springs from their obedience to him. Yes. Without their obedience to him, they're in bondage and may not even know it. So it is obedience to God and his will that liberates us, that frees us. Understand? Let, let's, let's, we, we, I know. I, I, all right, we, yeah, we, we, we're, into we're into it, we're into it. Okay, yes. let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, 24. And young adults, please take your notes because this will help you navigate certain conversations where you got individuals out there in the streets that's trying to sound so profound and articulate, and you can start, start dropping some of these few nuggets and they'll just dumbfound these individuals. Dropping on them. Yes. So Drop this, some this, this is relevant. You have to make it your business to make sure you make it relevant to your experience. Come on, preach to them. Preach <laughs> to them. Jesus gave parables, right? And let me set this up, Matthew 13, because Matthew 12 ends with Jesus in a house preaching and his family comes to see him and they say to him, your mother and your brothers are outside. <laughs> Who's my mother? <laughs> his response was, who is my mother? Who is my brother, my sisters? Those who submit, right, to the will of God, mm -hmm. represented by him. He was now shifting from his Jewish identity. Mm -hmm. Because the word came to the nation of Israel first, to the Jew first, yep. then to the Gentiles. But they rejected him. So the close of chapter 12 in, 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 in Matthew is a shift in ministry for Jesus. Because now he's moving from the house of Israel to whom he first sent the 70, Y'all read that, right? Yes. And he's now shifting to the Gentile world, to the sheep that he said who were not of this fold, but that he had. Mm -hmm. So the transition from chapter 12 to chapter 13, chapter 13 opens with him getting into a boat and pushing away from the shore. And now he's looking at the multitudes, a mixed multitude which is symbolic of him now speaking to the world at large and bringing judgment upon those who rejected him. He begins to speak in parables. Mm -hmm. And Matthew 13 has seven key parables that speak of the kingdom of God and the state of affairs in relationship to the kingdom here in the earth between his first coming 2,000 years ago and his second coming. So. This is important because this parable that we're going to look at, it's the parable of the wheat and the chair or the weeds and the wheat. May I interject? Some people say, well, the parable was for that time. But if you're familiar with the way things happen, there's ebbs and flows of life. 
And as you see the ebbs and flows of life, you always can find a parable responding to the, the particular season of where we are as humankind. You know what? I'm, I'm going to make a statement because you're both right. <laughs> the Bible was not written yes. to us. No. But it was written for us. Yes. To us is the audience. Mm-hmm that was present in the time of its writing, whether Paul was writing to the church of Corinth or Ephesus, whether Matthew was speaking to the Jews to present Jesus the Messiah, whether Luke, the physician, was speaking to the Gentile to present him in his messianic role, all right? The Bible was not written to us, but it was definitely written for us. Are you all hearing me? Some of you all look shocked out of your mind. There's no Santa Claus. So this was written for us, although it was not written to us. Mm-hmm. He is speaking privately to his disciples. Verse 24, reading from the Amplified Bible. Jesus gave them another parable to consider, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So he's, he's, share, he's giving a metaphor as to what the kingdom, the reign and rule of God in this period between his first and second coming would be like. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. In his what? Field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed, come on, what? Weeds. Weeds, love the Amplified, resembling wheat among the wheat and went away. So when the plant sprouted and formed grain, the weeds appeared also. The servants of the owner came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Then how does it have weeds in it? He replied to them, An enemy has done this. The servants asked him, Then do you want us to go and pull them out? But he said, No, because as you pull out the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Why? Because until harvest, the wheat and the weed look alike. And the, weed, the roots of the weeds actually wrap around the roots of the wheat mm-hmm. to secure themselves. Because lies need truth mm-hmm. in order to exist. So he said, you may pull up the wheat while you're trying to pull up the weeds. Mm -hmm. Verse 30, very important. Let them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, first gather the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into the field. So this was the parable that he told them, right? Now, let's go to verse 36. Same chapter, verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Now, he shifts from public, right? I said he was talking to his disciples, but the crowd was present. Now he's talking specifically and privately to his disciples. Verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. Are you in the house with me? Good. And his disciples came to him saying, explain clearly to us the parable of the weeds in the field. 
there were things that Jesus said that they didn't always understand. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is who? Come on, church. Is that Jesus? And the field is the church. I did that on purpose. <laughs> because there are some who preach that the field is the church. And in the church, we have wheat and tare. <laughs> the field that this parable addresses is the what? World. Humanity at large. The world. Got it? The man who sows the good seed is the son of man, and the field is the world. And for, as for the good seed, these are who? Sons. The sons or children of the kingdom. kingdom. Who, who, who that be? Us. Turn your neighbor. Say, neighbor, that be us. Yes. Ebonically speaking. <laughs> and the weeds are the sons or children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the? And the harvest is the end of the age. Listen, folks, this is clear. What Jesus is saying during this period of time, there is two sets of sowing going on. Mm -hmm. The weeds are the children of the kingdom of God who are looking to do the will of God and to live and bring righteousness into the earth. They are the salt and the light. The weeds are who, church? The children of? The children of? The devil, the wicked one. And, and listen, understand, he's not physically, literally birthing these people. All right? In other words, those who are under the influence of Jesus and those who are under the influence of the devil. And just as Jesus, during this period, is sowing his people. Listen, this is how it works. Because the other parable talks about this, the word being sown in the human heart. Mm -hmm. So God sows the word into the heart, mm -hmm. giving that word a body. And then he takes that body and sows it into the world, which is the field. And it could be the field of economics, the field of education, the field of healthcare, the field of politics, the field of finance. He's positioning. Woo! He's positioning. You're one of those seeds. And your occupation or vocation or calling is the field in which he's put you to be a witness to him, yes. to bring salt, to bring light to bring righteousness. And right next to you, the devil is sowing an alternative that looks just like you. words in the parable. Do you all see that? 
Jesus said, let what? Both grow. The good seed and the evil seed. The wheat and the? He said, let them what? Let them both what? So that there would be a duality of good and evil functioning in the field, which is the world. Which means this. Righteousness is going to grow and unrighteousness is going to grow. Grow means to develop. So just as much as we as representatives and witnesses of righteousness continue to grow in our influence, in our level of sophistication in representing righteousness, are you hearing me? Evil is also growing and developing and becoming more sophisticated in terms of its influence in the world. Blessed are your eyes, Mm -hmm. for you see. Blessed are your ears, for you hear. Blessed is your heart, because you understand there are people around you every day who have no clue of what's going on. And the reason the Bible is under attack is because that's the source of light. That's the source of understanding. The church is under attack because that's the community of light, the community of understanding. Proverbs 29, 18, we, we, we misuse it and say where there's no vision, the people perish, so you have to have a vision for your life. What that text really says is where there is no revelation of God, the people cast off restraints. In other words, remove God from the society and there's no moral accountability. Let both grow together. And in the 20th century, we saw an accelerated growth in sophistication in terms of evil. We saw more isms, more ideologies at war and in conflict with each other globally that we actually called it World War I, World War II. And now we're concerned about World War III because it's no longer localized, it's globalized. The village has become global, the village of man. Let them both grow together. So the reason that I thank God for the opportunity to influence government, to influence those in the seats of power, all right, is because I understand the forces at work. Another voice has to speak into there. Another force has to be at work. And it has to, listen, listen. Can I? The day of Pentecost launched the last days. They didn't happen 10 years ago. We've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. And if you want to say we're in the last of the last days, okay. The last days. The day of Pentecost was the, the launching of the church and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Salt and light in the earth. And the sowing of good seed in the field, which is the world. What made Pentecost, how many read Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, where they're all in the upper room, right? The the significance of Pentecost that day 
was the launching, the birth of the church and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The power of it was the presence of the Holy Spirit. But the effectiveness, why it was effective, because you could have power and significance and be ineffective if it's not delivered properly. The effectiveness of it was that everyone heard and understood in their own language. And until you can speak the language of the people you're trying to reach, you're not going to reach them. Christians tend to speak in a language that only other Christians understand. It's like a code. Bless him. Bless who? The enemy's been busy. I didn't know you had enemies. Who's after you? We use language we take for granted because we know the lingo. Amen? So if we're going to speak to culture, if we're going to speak especially to those in positions of power, political power, then you speak in a language that they can understand. These are the forces at work. And I, this is, I love to do this. I'm curious, so I'll dig deep to understand the dynamics of, of the systems that, that are at work. And I was looking at something. You know what a, you know what a lobbying group is? Lobbyists, lobbying is a lawful way of influencing politicians, government agencies, legislators, influencing policy and decision that affect the quality of life and the nature of our society and the ordering of our society. Are you hearing me? There are all kinds of special interest groups that lobby our government, our elected officials. That's why when you see this, the, you know, people get, the, the, the kids get shot up in school and there's a move of children that go to Washington, D.C. and they push and they protest and they march and they do all of this. And what comes out of it? Very little. Why? Because there's a God of mammon at work. Influencing the policies and decisions that a lot of our elected officials are engaging in or refuse to make. Are you hearing me? All right, let's get this up on the, the big screen. They know what I look like. Let's get, let's get this board up on the big screen. Let's get it back up on the big screen. So, there is a, a database that's available, and it will give you a complete list. It's a U.S. database, and it'll give you a complete list, well, a, a very comprehensive list from A to Z. I'm sorry. The reason why it's not always up there is because we're streaming as well. Oh, man. The people that are streaming to see you as well. Y'all forgot what I look like already? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. See, He's, he's getting all the messages from inside. All right. So they're special interest groups. 577 of them in, in the database that I have. They are designed to influence agriculture, education, abortion. I mean, you name it. 
They form groups and raise money to influence policy decisions, laws that are put in place. Are you with me? Systems and structures are all being influenced. In 2021, $3.73 billion were spent by lobbying groups to influence our system, to shape and influence decisions that are being made, policies that are being made, or that refuse to be changed. This is happening, folks. I, I just... So let me add another perspective, going back to the, the, the seed, and he says, let them grow together. You know how confident you have to be in your seed in order for you not to take offense or arms against the other seeds that are being, are being planted? So he says, let them grow together. There's a confidence in the seed. And when you look at the lobbyist groups and see what's going on, the seed is so prolific and strong that we're not lobbying, but yet there's still consideration to the moral Christian code that these individuals are taking consideration for without that $3.73 billion. This is the type of seed we're talking about we're dealing with. And this is why Jesus said, not God and Satan, he said God and money. Yahweh and money. He didn't, he did, Jesus didn't put Satan out there as the God to worry about, he said money. Because that's the economic system that drives a lot of the things that happen to us. I'm just going to read some, some of these, the, the, the headings of these, 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 these national special interests. Abortion and reproductive uh, special interest group. And there are those who are against it and those who are for it. And what are they doing? Working inside, using money and influence, working on And this is lawful. Inside to shape our policies, our legislation on these issues. Agriculture and food processing. It's important what we eat. We take for granted. We just, you know, Food and Drug Administration is going to protect us. Yeah. <laughs> Animals and wildlife, arts, entertainment, history, business and consumers, uh, campaign finance and elections, and how much money is being spent and how much money politicians can raise in order to, to, to run for office. Civil liberties, civil rights, uh, uh, conservative, uh, 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 liberal, um, groups that are, are directly aimed at, at changing the Constitution, irregular times, progressive patriots, that's my Congress, people for the American way, uh, organizations uh, who have an ideology about crime and pushing money to influence policy on crime. Some of it uh, cracking down on crime and some of it stopping from cracking down on crime. Are you with me? Defense, drugs, uh, the economy, Education, it was interesting, one particular group is, is about pushing Hellenism, which is Greek culture and influence. Not just arts and culture, but a certain way of thinking that opens the door for secular humanism and the removal of God from society. Employment, affirmative action, energy, oil, environment, uh, finance, banking, it just goes on and on and on. I don't expect you to, to, to study up on all this stuff because then I won't have a job. <laughs> but it's to help you understand that we're dealing 2,000 years after Jesus gave that parable. The growth and development of the field, the world, has become so sophisticated and the church continues to lag behind. The devil 
is sharp in what he's trying to do. And yeah, I would say something. At the, when I have these study sessions with myself that can last three hours early in the morning, I push back from my desk and I give a sigh of relief and thanksgiving. Because if it were not for the Holy Spirit, there is no way, there is no way that we can have any influence on this world system and this world order. So when he took his spirit and put it in us and depends on his spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth, bring all things to our remembrance, give us an understanding of history and how to interpret events, signs of the times, the prophetic anointing, and I can go on and on and on. If we didn't have that, forget it. But with confidence, we can sing that song we sang today. He will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Believers just don't know who they are. We say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world when we're facing challenges, but it goes far beyond your little challenge. Y'all pray for your pastor, your pastors, y'all pray for us. Because understand that when you begin to move in the realm of this level of sophistication of evil, your value increases in the kingdom, but you're also tested, attacked according to that value. So y'all pray for me here. Come on back. <laughs> so, this is all housekeeping. I guess you got a, you got a word out of the housekeeping. <laughs> this past Thursday, uh, and all of CCC who were there at the Sheen Center, come on, thank you, thank you, thank you. Rabbi Joseph Potasnik and I interviewed at the Sheen Center which for, for Thought and Culture, which is a Catholic uh, performing arts center in Manhattan, we interviewed the mayor of New York City, Mayor Eric Adams. And during the interview, protesters who had infiltrated stood up and started protesting and chanting going after him for, for uh, budget, cuts. budget cuts and you name it. And it took about five minutes to get them out. And you had to have a ticket. But you know, by, people, get, people get tickets for different reasons, right? <laughs> but what I love most is that after things settled down, we continued the flow like nothing ever happened. 
And if we don't have that kind of resilience in the face of opposition, we are not the leaders that God has called us to be. You cannot get disheveled. You cannot unravel just because you have opposition, whether it's opposition to a role that you're playing in life or just life in general. Christians shouldn't be falling apart. Christians should know in whom they have believed, trust in whom they've entrusted their soul. Are you with me? And, and, and let it play out and then go back to business as usual, letting the devil know that he did not move you out of your lane. He did not move you out of your faith. He did not deconstruct you. He did not accomplish what he thought he could accomplish by throwing things at you. Why? Because this is what you do. This is who you are when you call yourself a believer. When you are the weak and not the tear. We need some real Christians in this world right now. In this environment, we need some real Christians who are persuaded in whom they have believed. My, 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 my passion is because I see too many Christians shallow, shallow, and caught up in distractions that God cannot use them or send them to significant places of representation for the kingdom because the devil's got them tied up in foolishness. Come on, let's all stand. This is a teaching ministry. I'm going to say that again. This is a teaching ministry. Worship and word, spirit and word coming together. Not competing with each other, but blessing each other. Coming together to create the kind of environment for real growth. Real growth. And the real growth shows up when the temptation comes when the opposition comes, when the offer comes for you to let your will be done instead of the will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads. Oh, this is perfect. Elder Beverly, come on over here. I need some Pentecostal holiness. Right here, right now, prayer. Jesus, church, this is our hour, and I'm talking about the ecclesia, the body of Christ. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, today, right now, is an excellent time. For you to come and say, yes, Lord, to your will, to your provision, to your plan for my life in this earth realm. If you have not received Jesus Christ today 
as your Lord and Savior. Let me see by a show of hands, those of you who are watching by way of internet, you can just type in the chat, today I make the decision to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I recognize that the church is triumphant. So if I'm speaking to you and you have not fully accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to step out of your seat and come now. And we're going to pray with you if you are in a backslidden condition. You walked away. You become silent hmm. at the voice, at the unction of his call. I want you to come now. I don't see anyone moving. If you do, you can just let me know while they are coming, while they are making that decision. Glory to the name of the Lord. Those of you who are watching by way of internet, I want you to repeat these words with me because your confession will let the devil know greater is he that is in me than any opposition against me. Congregation, those of you who are here with me in the building, I want you to repeat after me along with those that have come to make this decision today. Dear Jesus, let me hear you say it. Let's support them. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. I receive. I receive. You today. You today. As my Lord. As my Lord. My Savior. My Savior. My King. My King. My Deliverer. My Deliverer. My Healer. My Healer. My Sustainer. My Provider. I accept. I accept. Your will. Your will. Your provision. For my life. For my life. From this day forward. From this day forward. I renounce. I renounce. My plans. My provision. My provision. And I accept. And I you today, you today, as my Lord, as my Lord, and my Savior, and my Savior, in Jesus' name, in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Congregation, let's welcome them. Those of you who are viewing by line, by internet, there's information on the screen. Text in, call in. We want to welcome you to the family of God. You didn't join this particular local ministry, even though you're welcome. But you are now members of the body of Christ. You are saying yes to the call of God. You are letting the devils know Jesus is now Lord of my life. You may return to your seats now. While you remain standing, thank you, Elder Beverly. Um, you may not know, but when Pastor Carol and I got saved, we started out in one church and we ended up in a, another church, Church of God in Christ, where Elder Beverly was there. And she took on the mantle, the call of God, to pray and to be an intercessor for Pastor Karen and I. We had no idea we would be doing what we're doing today. Neither did Elder Beverly have any idea. 
but she to this day, and I want to thank you for remaining faithful to that call to pray for us. She has prayed us through many, many situations. Prayer is critical, and we just love her Pentecostal spirit. Amen. Shout it in, somebody. <laughs> ah, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may not take the devil seriously, but he takes you seriously. And his objective is to neutralize you so that you don't have the kind of influence that God wants you to have in society. I believe that we've got an army here at CCC, some warriors in the faith. And we just want to be taught to show us, teach us, guide us, point us in the right direction, and we're going to do it. Amen. Any warriors in the house? Praise the Lord. Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Hallelujah. You going to close this out? Let us pray. You sing that song actually saying, you know, God build your church. Building your God's church doesn't happen only on Sundays. Mm. Happens yes. during the week. Yep. With studying, getting to know the word, getting to hear the voice of God, developing your spirit of discernment. So if you're really about that, I want to pray for you. As you say, Lord, build your church here personally. And as I participate in the building of the overall church. Father God, thank you so much for the word that was spoken today. A word that just challenged us to think differently. Looking at different things from a different perspective. Understanding that we are being positioned in our areas of influence as well as somebody else that's antagonistic being positioned. So Lord, we pray and ask that you help us grow as individuals. As we bud from that seed to something strong and powerful, deeply rooted in the Word of God. Lord, we ask for a spirit of discernment to hear your voice. We pray that you just take us as individuals in, in the master's hands. Use us as you see fit to use yes, us. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We surrender and hum humbly submit to you. And ask that you have your way throughout this week. God, God, and govern our paths. Protect us. Watch over us, Lord. But Lord, throughout this week of Lent, help us stay consistent with our fast. Help us stay consistent with the rhythm that we are creating through this time of Lent to pray and worship you, to read the word each day. Lord, we ask that you have your way. But Lord, we set an expectation for you, for you to speak to us through this time of Lent. Hmm. And what we've been praying for and petitioning for, Lord. We prayed for answers that we are so yearning for, Lord. We pray for development in areas that we have been praying for. We pray and ask for development in relationships. We pray for those individuals, whether it's our children, to come back to the church. Lord, we pray a super sensitizing time during this time of Lent. As you build your church, Lord. We submit and surrender Hallelujah. to your will yes, 
and your way. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. 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 Hallelujah. Come on, let's say something good as we leave this place, but never God's presence. Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard Podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless.